Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Hallelujah. I was praying a, a little bit the other day, just this week, and sometimes this is how things happen. Just a couple of words. Actually, the title of this message just came up out of my spirit. Forgiven to forgive. Forgiven to forgive. And it just in, prompted within me just to do a little bit of study on, along this line and see what you know, the Lord would have me to give tonight. And this is uh, what happened. Forgiving to forgive, we'll talk about that and how important it is to realize our need to forgive others because we have been forgiven of such a great debt. And so in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, let's look at some things that Jesus taught. You know, someone once told me, you know, that's Jesus and that's the Gospels. And the Gospels is not really the New Testament. It's the end of the Old Testament. And so it really doesn't apply to us. We live under the Pauline epistles. And so all we have to do is study the Pauline epistles. And I thought, don't you have a red letter edition? Those words came from the lips of our Savior. It wouldn't matter to me when we're living. If Jesus said it, it's important to me, and it should be important to all of us. Would you agree to that? Amen. Amen. So what did Jesus say? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, unto the disciples, it's impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, then that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. In other words, protect yourself, guard yourself. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If you repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. <laughs> wow. Well, if you want us to do something like that, we can raise the dead, but forgiveness is another thing. And the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to the sycamine tree, which is deep, his roots spread out, a lot of roots, be thou plucked up by the root, the root of bitterness, and be thou planted into the sea, and it should obey you. In other words, we forgive by faith. All right. He taught that because it's impossible that offenses should come. In other words, you and I are not going to walk through this life and not be offended by someone. Has anybody here never, ever been offended? Had a reason, let's say, to be upset with someone? I'm sure we've all been offended at some point in time in our lives. Well, it's important then because we will be offended. He said, you need to protect your heart diligently because out of it come the issues of life from bitterness and unforgiveness why he knew that bitterness and unforgiveness those were the tools of the enemy to do what wreak havoc in our lives to expose us to all kind of demonic activity also he understands that we can be judged by god if we don't forgive as we've been forgiven and if we allow it to be rooted within our hearts and lives we can stop the divine flow of power 
from bringing victory into our lives and delivering us or healing us or providing for our daily needs. And so Jesus said, look, you've got to protect your heart diligently. Look at what he said also in Matthew 18. He's teaching his disciples to offer unlimited forgiveness to all people. No matter what anyone has done, forgive. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Now, if you don't know the Jewish tradition way back when, you might think that, okay, seven times. But remember when Jesus said to his disciples when he taught in the Sermon on the Mount, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes and all that, you won't enter my kingdom? Well, see, back then they thought that if you forgave someone three times, that was great. You're doing great. Three times. Now, I don't know if that's three times a day, three times a week, three times a month, three times a year, or three times a lifetime. But if you forgive three times, you're doing great. So Peter, you know, Peter, how he is, seven times, Lord. In other words, I'm just going to exceed their righteousness and go beyond and above whatever they do. Jesus said to him, I say not unto thee seven times, but until 70 times seven. And I'm sure Peter swallowed hard at that statement. 490 times a day, you want me to forgive someone? Because if you put it all together, then that's exactly what Jesus said. In other words, offer unlimited forgiveness. You can't and I can't afford to have unforgiveness in our hearts. It is detrimental. It opens up the door to demonic activity. It opens up the door to God's judgment. It closes the door to divine power that delivers, heals, and sets free. For example... I often use this when I teach along this line because to, for me it was one of the most important messages or teachings I ever received from the Spirit of God when I first came into ministry. I'll never forget being in our church in Midland and how I would just go over to, we only had 35 people, that's with the children and all that, so it wasn't a big congregation. I could just go and spend some time in people's homes. And I went over to uh, some lady's house and she came out of the hospital and she was suffering uh, from a lazy eye where diabetes had eaten away the, the eye muscle that held it in place. And I would sit with her and I would read the scriptures from Mark 11, 23, 24, the faith scriptures and all that. And it was amazing to watch this miracle take place right before my eyes. One eye looked straight at me, but the other eye looked off to the side because there was no muscle to hold it in place. And while I'm speaking, while I'm sharing the word and teaching her, I'm watching the eye come into focus and by itself, just, just as I'm talking and teaching the word of faith. And she's looking straight at me with both eyes. I leave, it goes back to the way it was. I would come back the next week, do the same thing, same thing happens. And this went on for weeks until finally one day I said, there's something wrong here. You know, it's, 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 it's amazing how the scriptures are so clear, but sometimes we have a hard time with our understanding in our heads, right? You have not because you ask not. So after weeks, I just sat down and I saw her again the same way. And I just I said, Lord, actually on the way before sitting down, I'm on the way into the house. I said, I don't understand this. I preached the word of faith and her eyeball goes straight, looks like it's supposed to. And I sit down, you know, it's, it's looking right at me. And then I leave and it goes back. What's going on here? Why? 
one word, bitterness. I heard in my spirit, bitterness. And so I sat down on the couch and I just looked at her and said, Sister, does bitterness mean anything to you? She said, oh yeah, I'm bitter. Let me see, he's honest. <laughs> I'm bitter. I said, Sister, don't you know that if you're bitter, you're going to block the healing power of God and you can't get healed? You want, I'm here speaking to you about, you've got to believe you receive your healing. You've got to speak the word of faith. You've got to speak the word over your eye and, and, and that sort of thing. And I, I said, don't you know that? She said, no, I didn't know that. Now, trust me, she was in the, in, the, in the Lord 50 years longer than I was. And she didn't know that. I said, well, it's so. You've got to deal with that. There's no sense us even praying or you speak. You can confess a million times a day if you want to. You're going to, first of all, block the healing power of God. You're going to give yourself place to uh, demonic activity in your life. And also, God's judgment will fall upon you. Actually, you'll imprison yourself because it will imprison you. And I said, unless you deal with that, it won't happen. I said, you want to deal with this? She said, I'll deal with it. A week later, we had our healing. Well, actually, it was a service, Sunday night service. And she came to the small church down there in Midland. She came up to the altar, and I said to her, Sister, did you deal with that situation we talked about? And she said, yes, I did. Just lay your hands on me, and I'll be healed. Precious anointing of the Spirit was there. So I go to pray for her. Power of God comes on her. Next day, she goes up to, to, back to her doctor. Her eyes perfectly healed. He actually said to her, did you go somewhere up in Pittsburgh to get some kind of special treatment? Did they come up with some kind of new procedure that they could? She said, no, I went to the altar. My pastor prayed for me and I got healed. Jesus healed me. I, I wonder how he received that. And I guess I never really understood how he received that and everything. But look at the point I'm making. We can confess a million times. We can go to meetings everywhere around the world. We can have the greatest anointing, the greatest presence of God. If there's bitterness and unforgiveness lodged in the heart of the recipient, it's going to block the divine flow of power. It's going to stop it from being effective. It's going to open up the door to the enemy and that sort of thing. So here Jesus is teaching his disciples something that is extremely important, especially when a person decides to live by faith. If you recall in Mark 11, 23 and 24, the beautiful faith scriptures, speak to your mountain, believe you receive, you shall have. But what are the next two verses? And when you stand praying or declaring and confessing the word of God, if you have ought, anything in your heart against anyone, confess it. Get rid of it. Deal with it. And if you don't, your father won't forgive you. Forgive everyone. So in other words, you can see the connection between the two. Always make sure the heart is pure and clean. And make sure there's nothing in your heart against any person because we can't afford to hold ought against anyone in our lives. Satan will use this. Why? It's easy to be hurt by people. Even people within our own families that are supposed to love us. And why? Because we all have our own different personalities and shortcomings and faults and all that. Because I guess folks is folks. We're just the way we are. But it doesn't alleviate any one of us from forgiving people. And let's remember this. Satan thrives on this. He will use this more than anything to hold someone under his hand of oppression and in spiritual prison and captivity. So now look at Matthew 18. Now let's beginning at, at verse 23 and see what else Jesus taught along this line because he illustrates this. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened, so it's making a comparison, to a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold 
his wife, children, and all that he had, and payment be made. Oh my goodness. I mean, take my car, but my wife and my children, and all of my other possessions? Gee. Well, the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid his hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Well, it sounds like what that guy said, doesn't it? And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Actually, that comes up here, but we didn't see or hear had that conversation where he's asked him to forgive, forgive the debt. He just said, be patient with me earlier. But apparently in that dialogue, he must have said, you know, is there anything you can do to alleviate this debt? Shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as? Everybody say even as. Two powerful words. I had pity on thee, and his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. Now notice. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So if we were just to look at this parable and analyze it a little bit, we're not getting dogmatic about this. Sometimes people say you should never try to interpret uh, what every person, whoever person is in every line and what it means. But since Jesus said this is a comparison, it's likening unto the, kingdom of heaven. Let's just go with that. Is that okay? So first of all, let's say the king represents the Lord or God. He represents God. And then we have the person that was in debt. He was the indebted individual. He represents man's inability to repay his sin debt. It's so enormous. It's so humongous that he is in absolutely incapable of paying back the debt. Okay, so Jesus made that very clear. But then the third thing is the one, the next guy who's the indebted fellow servant. Now, this fella, really, if you look at it, we'll talk about it in just a moment. If you look at it correctly, he's actually able to pay the debt back in terms of being realistic, where the first one wasn't. But this represents this servant's brother like a fellow servant, a brother or sister in the Lord, who owes him a sin debt. So apparently, since Jesus is using monetary figures, he owes him a certain amount of money. But it could be that he owes him because he, let's say, slandered him. Or maybe he stole from him. Or did other things to him. It's a sin debt. He owes a sin debt. And it is in the realm of possibility that he can repay that debt. And I'll show you why right now. Look at the next thing. 
the debt that he owed, if you look at this as I wrote them out, now when I share these with you, remember this. These are certain studies that have taken place, and um, I've looked over the years at different ones. And I know there's sometimes conflicting, you know, findings and that sort of thing. I kind of went in the, in the middle, like the balance, just to balance it out, went in the middle. Because one study said that 10,000 talents is equivalent to $14 billion in today's money. You know, I mean, I can get by a week on that. Could you? $14 billion. But I have here, I went down the middle, 17, I mean, $7 billion. Because in this study, what they used was money of our time compared to what a talent was and what a pence was and what it represented as far as work hours are concerned, etc. Okay, so 10,000 uh, talents is $7 billion. 100 pence is equivalent to $11,700. And what he used was a minimum wage of $8 an hour. Now we're talking about today's money. So eight hours, $8 an hour. And since they work six days a week, that would be 72 hours because they work 12-hour days. And the Sabbath day, they rested. And then if you considered 40 hours the regular work week, and then the, the last 32 hours were, you could say, overtime hours. So we're just, you know, making up all the difference here. So we're going to give them $12 an hour because it's time and a half. Anybody like time and a half? I really like that one. I worked uh, that way. So put that all together. It's $11,700 for for four months. So you multiply that times three to get the yearly figure and you're up to now $35,100 and we'll just round it off to say $35,000 a year. So if the man made $35,000 a year and he owed $11,000, $11,700, that's a doable you know, repay, wouldn't you say? It may take time, but he can repay that debt. It's within the realm of possibility, wouldn't you say? All right. Well, to pay back $7 billion, if you gave your whole $35,000 a year back to the king, would take 200,000 years to repay, if you do the math. Anybody plan on living on earth for 200,000 years? I don't think so. So in other words, what Jesus was teaching was it's out of the realm of possibility for a man to pay his sin debt. You can live 200,000 years and never pay your sin debt. You can live forever and never pay your sin debt and many sadly enough to say they will. So next we see is the king's forgiveness in manifestation. Now, the guy realizes how much he owes, but in actuality, he doesn't really recognize how much he owes. Because remember, he said, give me some, just have patience with me and I'll repay the debt. I don't know what he was thinking. But remember, Jesus is giving us this narrative and Jesus is presenting it in such a way so that we know it's impossible to repay our sin debt. So he asked for patience. And what does the king do? He extends to him compassion and grace. He has mercy upon this man and completely wipes out his debt. Would you call that a great day? 
if someone just paid my, uh, you know, mortgage off, I wouldn't mind that. Would that excite you? You excitable tonight? If there's something that would excite you if someone just paid off that. Can you imagine this guy being forgiven of a $7 billion debt that he could not pay? Should he not have been ecstatic? Oh, I'm sure he should have. Well, notice this. The man did not earn what he got. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, he did not earn what he got. No, it came by grace because of compassion. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. See, he had nothing to do with him. There was nothing he could have done to repay it. He did not earn it at all. He did not work for it at all. It was just an act of mercy and grace, compassion and forgiveness. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, and that's what it was, the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So in other words, this man had no reason to boast. He had reason to shout, but not to boast, because he did nothing to earn the status of being debt-free, no longer bound by a sin debt. Can you see that? Exactly, and that's exactly where the man was at. Okay, look at the next verse in, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. <clears throat> we basically can shout about the same thing. We owed a sin debt that we couldn't pay. But thank God we've been forgiven of that sin debt, not because we worked for it, but as the scripture says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You and I have been forgiven this great amount, this great sin debt, because of his grace and the riches of his grace. Because of the blood of Jesus, who purchased our ransom. And thank God, not silver and gold or corruptible things, but his blood. And then in the next verse, in the book of Acts chapter 13, we see something else added to the mix. Be it known unto you, therefore, men... And brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, how important is this? So now, whether Jew or whether Gentile, you can't pay your sin debt. The law, you'll never be able to keep. So you'll never pay your sin debt. We need someone to do what? Pay the debt for us. And so this king completely removed the man's debt as an act of mercy and grace and compassion and says, man, you're a debt-free person. You and I are debt-free. We owe nothing. Our sins have been blotted out by the blood of the Lamb. We've been stamped with a rubber stamp that was dipped in the blood of the Lamb and on our souls is paid in full. Hallelujah. Isn't that something to shout about? Glory be to God. And it should move us to our knees in deep appreciation for the fact that something that we owed has been removed from our indebtedness by Jesus. Now next, the forgiven servant's refusal to forgive 
brought what? Judgment upon his soul. Notice this. Notice in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, a verse that I'm sure that we know, but let's read it from a different translation. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Hmm. So, this man was forgiven a $7 billion debt. A man owed him 100 pence, a payable debt. He's forgiven because of mercy and grace. He shows no mercy. He has no grace. He takes the man turns him over to the tormentors and has him tormented until he can pay the debt in full. Isn't that what he did? Isn't that how he judged? Isn't that how he treated him? What happened to him? He judged himself. He judged himself. The same way you treat others, God says it's the same way I'll treat you. You don't want to be judged, then don't judge somebody else. Why? I've got a little bit of news for us. We all have issues. Can anybody say amen to that? We all have issues. Yeah. How you can become so indebted, I don't know. Seven billion dollars. <throat> but anyhow, it's what Jesus taught. So we all have issues. We all need forgiveness. We all need to cross that bridge. Don't burn it like this man did. I read an article about this. And this fella and his thinking said, we can't really compare the king to God and God to the king and say that he represents God, because, um, well, if he sent the man to be eternally tortured because he could never pay that sin debt, that wouldn't be a loving God. <laughs> and I thought, oh my, what does it say? Don't say it's an interpretation because there's no interpretation needed. He found the man who refused to forgive, who was forgiven after he was forgiven, and because he judged this other man and sent him to the tormentors, guess what? He was turned over to the tormentors to be tormented for the rest of his life. Hmm, something to really seriously think about, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. So in other words, God didn't do it. You sowed it. You reaped it. You did it to yourself. Because you chose not to forgive. You chose not to show mercy. You chose not to offer grace. You chose to torment someone and judge them worthy of punishment after you were given mercy. So therefore, hmm, there you go, buddy. Now spend your eternity there and see what it's like. Do you remember the story of David? When King David committed 
oh my goodness, adultery with Bathsheba, then a cover-up, and then brought her husband home and tried to get him drunk, and then to get him to you know, be the father of the child because she was pregnant and all that, and then when he wouldn't sleep with his wife, then he sent her, him out to, to uh, the war and told his captains to pull back, and so he dies. So he has him killed, so he commits murder and cover-up and all that, and then he's delusional because now he's deceived into thinking that now that I'm married to her, everything is okay. Nathan comes along and tells him a little story about a little lamb and another fellow that has got flocks of sheep and says, this is what happened, O king. This guy that got flocks of sheep had a visitor and rather than take one of his, he stole the only one this person has over here and cooked it and had a fine meal with it. What should be done to him, king? Kill him. What was that, king? Kill him. He deserves to die, which was not true by law, but that's what he said. Nathan says that, David, you're the man. And oh, can you imagine the looks he got on his face when he heard that? You stole Bathsheba off of Uriah. How many women and wives do you have here? And if that wasn't enough, I could have given you more. And then not only did you steal his wife, then you had him killed. And you think everything is okay? That's the saddest part. Think about David being a man after God's own heart, but yet still his conscience now it seems to be seared, doesn't it? Like he felt no remorse and no guilt for what he had done and felt justified because he married the woman. But the prophet says, no, 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 you were wrong. So he basically judged himself in the matter. So what is he saying? Whatever you judge with, that's how you'll be judged. Of course, his life was spared. Now, Another point we bring out from this is that people are tormented when they live in the realm of unforgiveness or bitterness. Look at the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 14 and 15 from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled or poisoned. As one book in the book of Acts it says, you're in the gall of bitterness, po the poison of bitterness. So bitterness, unforgiveness will spring up, rise up, and poison the person who harbors it. And so that's talking about all kinds of things. You're exposed to demonic activity as a result. You're exposed to the judgment of God as a result. You shut down or close the door to the operational power of God as a result. And like I said, you can confess the word day and night, day and night, a million times a day, but it does not allow the, the power of God to flow. Why? Because the ear of the Lord is not heavy that it cannot hear or the arm too short that it cannot reach. But he said, but your sin is Come between you and me, and I cannot and will not hear what you're saying. I'm not going to answer your, your plea for help. So if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So in other words, he's a deaf ear to those that harbor unforgiveness. Why? Because of the price that was paid to forgive us this $7 billion debt. And he says, you can actually hold some accountable for 100 pence. And so we can be, become poisoned by it. We can forfeit the power of God to deliver us, to heal us, to provide for us, to meet our every need. 
And it's important and imperative that we learn to forgive. Okay, number seven. Forgiveness is contingent upon forgiving others is what Jesus taught. Look in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 from the New Living Translation. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is contingent upon our forgiving others. Okay, look at the next verse. Colossians. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Notice, we must be born again. We must come by the blood of the Lamb. We must forgive others. Because why? We've been forgiven. So it's important that we understand the language of our Lord as he begins to share with us and teach us, look, I paid an awesome price, an awful price for your freedom from the power of sin. I released you of a debt you could never pay that you would try to be paying throughout eternity in the lake of fire from which there will never be escape. I have paid the debt for you. I've released you from that indebtedness. And all I'm asking you to do is to forgive others the same way that I forgave you. And if you want forgiven, you have to do it. And I could just hear some people thinking, not necessarily you, but some people thinking, but you don't know what they did to me. We've missed the whole thing by that statement. No matter what they did to you, it cannot compare to your indebtedness to God that you were freely forgiven of that would have ushered you into an eternity called the lake of fire where the fire is never quenched, the worm never dies. You were forgiven of all that. So no matter what they did to you, and understand some things are difficult even to accept, like a drunken driver killed a family member, maybe even a child or whatever. And the tendency is for what? For us to be so angry, so bitter, and so against that person that you, you, you just harbor that thing and, and continue to keep that. Or someone molested you or abused you in a certain way or whatever. And so you've got that deep-seated within your soul. And it's hard for you to, to re release yourself from that and relieve them of that and release them from their indebtedness to you. But none of it can compare to what we owed God because of the fall of man. And so he says, look, put the two and weigh them side by side. Make a comparison. There is no contest here. No matter what they've done, you have the ability, you have the power to make a decision to release them of their indebtedness to you as I have released you of your indebtedness to me. And this man wouldn't do it. And wanted him tormented. And of course, as a result, he got what he judged. What he doled out, he got back. Now notice the next. Forgiveness is from the heart. Look at Matthew 18, 35 once again. It's from the heart. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone, his brother, their trespasses. 
Forgive those as we forgive those who trespass. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. If you don't forgive them, then you can't be forgiven is what he's saying. But it's got to come from the heart. Deep seated within the soul of a person. As a matter of fact, I was listening to the testimony of a young lady. And she said that her stepfather committed murder and killed her mother, whom she loved dearly. And in the courtroom, as they were before the judge and the trial and all that, she stood up to talk. And she said, at first there was anger within my soul and bitterness tried to get over me. But the more I thought about you and your condition, the more on the inside of me there arose compassion and forgiveness. And I began to realize how important it is for us to look within because true forgiveness comes from the heart. And she said it from her heart. I forgive you for what you did. And may God have mercy on your soul. But I release you of your indebtedness to me for taking my mother's life. Imagine that. And again, the list goes on and on. There's other ways that people have died. You know, when you think about what took place in Columbine and, and you think about the Boston Marathon and, and Virginia Tech University and all that. You know, parents that lost their children can become very bitter and very unforgiving. I've had people come up to me and say to me, I can never forgive this person for that. And I said, you have to. But I can't. Yes, you can. And you have to. And you must. You know why? It's more detrimental to you than it is to the other person. Don't let that person have one more day, one more hour, one more minute of your life, of your sanity. And don't allow him to let the devil put you in prison and bring that which defiles into your life. You can't afford to hold the unbitterness, the bitterness and unforgiveness. You've got to release it. You've got to let it go. And you can do it as an act of the will. And though it doesn't change the situation, it doesn't change the past, but it does sure shape the future and change the future. So you've got to release it. You've got to let it go. Get it under the blood and rise up and overcome. Well, this individual didn't have that kind of a heart. He was called the unmerciful servant because he lacked heart. He failed to really recognize the depth to which he was released. He failed to realize he couldn't pay the debt if he lived 100 years every year consecutively for 2,000 years, 100 years of age, 100 years old. It would take 2,000 years, so 200,000 years or 2,000 lifetimes, and he could never repay the debt. He failed to realize how much he was forgiven. Remember that Jesus said, when a person is forgiven much, they love much. He forgot that. He didn't know that. And this man was unmerciful because he didn't look within himself and find out from his own heart how set free he was. And he allowed the gall of bitterness to rise up within his soul, defile him, trouble him, torment him, and get him to a place of a spiritual captivity. And you know what? Rather than doing what he did, he should have been compassionate toward his fellow servant so he could have been liberated and set free even more. Yeah. He failed to realize that those who have been forgiven are indebted to forgive. 
Forgiven to forgive is the title of the message. Have you been forgiven? I've been forgiven. Guess what? We've been forgiven to forgive. To release anyone and everyone that has wronged us in any way. Why? For our own personal benefit. Now, who do we forgive? Look what I have listed for us as we conclude our message. What, what about forgiving ourselves? You realize some people find it very difficult for, to forgive themselves when they miss the mark or do something wrong. But in Psalm 103 and verse 12, we are told by the psalmist, as far as the east is from the west, so far had he removed our transgressions from us. And the east and the west never meet. So if you listen to that statement and think about what it says and meditate upon it, God has forgiven us and he has removed our transgressions so far from us that they're nowhere in sight. If that's true, then why is it we find it difficult to even forgive ourselves when we miss the mark? But for many people, they do. And what happens is they allow condemnation to imprison them, to hold them captive, to cause them to lose their confidence. Look at 1 John. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, let's go to the other one. Romans first, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. So in other words, he is saying there's no reason for us to be under this, the guilt of sin any longer. Our conscience has been cleansed with the blood of the Lamb and we have a clear conscience before God because we've been liberated and delivered and set free of our sin debt. So therefore, even if we miss the mark, what's essential to do is to get under the blood and then forgive ourselves and get rid of it. Look at 1 John now, chapter 3. What happens is the enemy knows that this could be an area that he could attack and probe as far as our spiritual lives are concerned. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but indeed in the truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before God. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Confidence means we have an active, robust faith toward God when we don't have any condemnation or conviction of sin. So, what we need to realize then is the enemy will use guilt and condemnation to do what? To pull the rug out from beneath our faith life and confidence in God. So he'll always bring up our shortcomings. He'll always bring up our faults. He'll always bring up our failures along the way that we make. And he'll badger us and badger us in our thought life. You did this. You did that. You didn't do enough of this and didn't do enough of that. Why? To capture us and hold us in the prison of his captivity. Condemnation and guilt. But we need to release ourselves and just let it go. You can't be perfect and I can't be perfect. And all our faults and all our shortcomings and failures can be under the blood of the Lamb. And if God told me to forgive 490 times a day, will He tell me to do something that He wouldn't do? I don't recommend you sin 491 times today. 
stop at 490. No, he's talking unlimited forgiveness. That doesn't give us a license to sin. It just means what? When you miss the mark, get under the blood and don't let guilt and condemnation badger you. Amen. Number two, those who ask us to forgive them, we are to forgive. We saw this already in Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. You know, if someone repents, then forgive them. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. If he repent, do what? Forgive him. If he trespass against you seven times a day and seven times a day, turn again to thee saying, I repent, then do what? Forgive him. Uh, uh, once again, unconditional and unlimited forgiveness. Offer the forgiveness. So if someone asks, I'm to forgive. And you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I know they're going to do it again tomorrow. And so will you. How many, times, how many times have you said, I'll never do that again? <laughs> and it wasn't very long before you did it again. We understand our frame, our frailties and all that, right? We do it again. Aren't you glad for the blood? The continuous flow? Amen. And then this next one, a little story behind this one. Those who, ask, those who don't ask us. Someone came up to me and said, we don't have to forgive everybody. One time when I taught this subject, I said, what do you mean? If they don't ask, he said, if they ask, if they don't ask, I don't have to forgive them. I said, oh, really? Really? Did you ever read what Jesus did in Luke? What is it, 23, I believe it is? 34? Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them because they asked me to. Oh, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. Did they ask Jesus to forgive him? But did he forgive them? Did he ask the Father to forgive them? And what about Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and verse 60? He kneeled down and cried as he was being stoned to death with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge because they asked me to forgive them. No, it doesn't say that, does it? No. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. So I told the person, just because he didn't ask you, doesn't give you the right to hold bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. Jesus forgave others that didn't ask him. And he set the pattern for us to follow. He said, follow me and my example. So we're to forgive all people, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, we forgive them. And if they don't ask, we still forgive them and just say, I'm moving on. Trust me, it benefits us more than them. And fourth and finally, I know this might seem hard for us to understand, but you'll get it in a moment. We forgive God. People need to forgive God. And why is that? Because some people blame God for their troubles. Some people blame God because it's human to do so, thinking that, man, you're God. I shouldn't be going through this. Well, look at James chapter 1. Many get bitter toward God because certain things happen in life and they think in the back of their mind, he's God, I'm his son, I'm his child, I love him, I serve, this shouldn't be happening to me. Well, wouldn't that be great? Be wonderful. But apparently there's certain laws we've got to follow and principles we have to live by. Blessed is the man that endures temptation when he's tried. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no 
man say when he is tempted, tested, or tried? I'm tempted, tested, or tried of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when? When he's drawn away of his own lust, enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Do not err or be in deception, my beloved brethren. Next verse, he goes on to say, Every good and every perfect gift come down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variables, neither shadow of turning. So what James is trying to say, you people are holding God responsible for what you're going through right now. But I want you to know something. God is not your problem. He's not the force behind the temptation. You've got a devil who wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy. He is stirring up even your brethren, the Judaizers, to undermine the teachings that you've been taught of the Lord to destroy your life. And yes, you're scattered abroad. Yes, you're going through all kinds of persecutions. But Jesus said you go through persecutions when you live here upon the earth. So don't blame God as if it's his fault that you're going through all this because he's on your side. Learn how to tap into the power of God and release his power in your life. And don't blame God for what you're going through. When I was at school at Ramah, someone introduced me to a young lady and said that she has walked away from God, but she's willing to talk to you. Would you talk to her? I don't know how, for someone like a magnet or something like that. I, I, they just, you want me to talk to her? Okay, I'll talk to her. And she came up to me, she said, there's no need for you to talk to me. I'm bitter at God. I blame God. I just, God said, and she quoted 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He said, and this is often misquoted, that God will not give you more than you can handle, more than you can bear. But he will, with the way of temptation, make the way of escape so that you can bear it. Okay, and she said, but God lied. God took my baby, killed my baby. And so, therefore, I will not serve him. I'm not serving a God like that. He did it. I couldn't bear it. He said I could bear it. No, I'm telling him I can't bear it. I'm angry with God. I blame God. I'm bitter toward God. And I said to her, well, who told you that God did it? I've been to churches and men of God had told me. They needed my, he needed my child in heaven. And I thought, how selfish could God possibly be? He'll have him for an eternity. Got to take him now. And I tried to convince her, God is not your problem. And God did not create the situation. And God did not take your child's life. The Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, not God. Don't blame God for something he did not do. You've got to release him from that. You're holding something against God. I can't even imagine someone that have the boldness to do something like that. Get educated in the Word of God and you'll find out that he had nothing to do with the situation whatsoever. So I tried to convince her. I gave her line upon line, precept upon precept. She had to sift through all that, I'm sure. And she had to sift through other people, other preachers telling her that God just took your child because God knew it's better for you. The child might have become your idol. Oh, can you imagine some of that stuff? Straight from the, from the pit, right? Stop. That's not God. No, it, it's an act of the enemy. So I said, you got to let that go. And I pray that she did. All right. In conclusion, to forgive people is in our own best interest. Not necessarily the one that you're forgiving. And pray for that person. But it's in our best interest to forgive. Because why? If unforgiveness does what? Opens the door to satanic activity. Forgiveness closes that door. If unforgiveness and bitterness opens up the door to God's judgment, forgiveness closes the door. If walking in bitterness and unforgiveness 
which does what? Blocks the operational power of God that saves, heals, delivers, and sets free. Forgiveness opens the door wide. Now, like the woman that got a creative miracle, praise God, and others that were delivered, we too can experience the miracle working power of God in a powerful way. Avoid God's judgment, avoid satanic uh, defilement as well as activity, and just rejoice in the presence of God, basking in His glory because our hearts are pure before Him. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.